Are you good at keeping secrets? Do you, do you like it when, when somebody uh, comes in and, and they kind of look around and they go, hey, I got to tell you a secret. I mean, raise your hand if you like, you actually enjoy, no, tell the truth. There's a few of you better raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Because I know some of you like a good juicy secret. How many of you hate that? Raise your hand if you just hate that when somebody says, you know, yeah, and some of you need to raise your hand too because you're not good at keeping secrets. I know some of you. Um, Michael Slepian was a professor at Columbia Business School, and he told The Atlantic in a recent article that the, uh, the research shows that the average person has 13 secrets, five of which they've never told anyone at all. And it's interesting research that they did. They did this research where they had people who said they had secrets and people who said they didn't have secrets, and they asked them to um, judge the slope of a hill or the distance between two points or the weight of an object. And fascinatingly enough, almost all the people who had secrets guessed that the, sto- the, the, the slope was steeper than it really was, that the distance was longer than it really was, and the weight was heavier than it really was. Really fascinating research. It shows that secrets uh, can be difficult to keep, and they can also be a weight on us if they're negative. But they can also be exhilarating if they're positive and exciting. And sometimes knowing a secret can change your life. So what if, let me ask this question. What if Jesus Christ himself in the flesh walked in here this morning and came up on stage? Because if Jesus shows up, he gets the microphone. You know, that's kind of a a rule we have at New Life. And so if if Jesus walked in, came up on stage and looked around and said, I got to tell you a secret. How many of you, that would get your attention? Raise your hand. If Jesus Christ said, I want to tell you, say, okay, I think it would get your attention. I think you might lean in. I think you might get quiet. I think some of you might even turn off your cell phone. You, you, you might take notes. You might tell your, li- your neighbor, hey, shh, shh, listen, you might be on the edge of your seat. Okay, Jesus, what's the secret? Well, that is exactly what Jesus does in our text this morning uh, that uh, was so well read. My lovely wife. Um, in Mark chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, The secret of the kingdom has been given to you. Jesus says, I got a secret, and I'm going to pass it on to you. In other words, this parable, we call it the parable of the sower, but it isn't really about the sower at all. It's about the seed. It is about the soils. This parable contains the secret of the kingdom of God. In other words, the secret of how to be transformed in this text. How many of you know here today, how many of you are here today and say, you know there's at least one area in your life that needs to be transformed? Raise your hand if you know there's at least one. Okay, in other words, you're not perfect. Okay, all right. So we have a surprising number of perfect people in our congregation. There's that. So I knew you guys were awesome, but wow. Um, So for the rest of us who know we're not perfect, would you like to know the secret of how to be transformed in that area? Jesus said, the secret is in this parable. Let me explain. Thus far in the Gospel of Mark, if you had been reading along, you would discover that there's this odd range of responses to Jesus and his message. Because in Mark, Jesus just sews up preaching. In Matthew and Luke, there's this birth narrative, and it talks about how he was born. John has this extended kind of cosmic prologue. Not Mark. Mark starts, boom, it's right there in front of you. There's John the Baptist, and then Jesus starts preaching, and here's what he preaches Chapter 1, verse 15, the time has come 
The kairos, the, the, the divine time, the appointed time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. The good news. And that was his message. And it was consistent with everyone. But the response in the first three chapters of Mark is surprisingly varied. Ranging from uh, the commitment of the disciples to the skepticism of his own family to the plot of the Pharisees and the Herodians to kill Jesus to the surprise of the crowds who are amazed by his authority, but they just want to see miracles. They don't want to really follow him. And from that to the blasphemy of the scribes from Jerusalem who attribute his work to Satan. The whole gamut. From total commitment to, he's Satan, let's kill him, and everything in between. Why? I mean, why all the different responses to Jesus' ministry of the gospel, of the kingdom? It's the same Jesus. Same message, same miracle, same time, yet totally, totally different responses. Which leads to this question. If Jesus' gospel of the kingdom is really good news, then why isn't it universally accepted and embraced? I mean, if you're reading the gospel of Mark, uh, there's these uh, demons that recognize Jesus as the son of God. In fact, it, I mean, it's almost comical. In, in the book of Mark, uh, Jesus will walk up and a demon will go, Behold, he's the son of God. And then there'll be a human who'll say something like, I wonder who this cat is. You know, who, even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this guy? He preaches with authority. And the whole time the demons are going, son of God, holy one of God. I know who you are. And he uses it. Why don't, why, how is it that demons recognize who Jesus is, but his own people, the people of God say, not only do they not recognize, they say he's Satan. How is that possible? Let's make it more personal than that, because this isn't just an issue from 2000 years ago. Why today do we see all sorts of different outcomes and responses in our own lives and in our own ministries? I mean, why are there areas in our lives where we see significant growth? We see significant transformation. And there's other areas that after following Jesus for 40 years aren't transformed. Like, how is it that, that I've known Jesus now for 41 years? 41 years I've been following Jesus, and I still get ticked off when somebody cuts me off in traffic. How is that possible? <laughs> how, you, know, and, you know, although yesterday, and I have a witness, lady cut me off, and I blessed her in Jesus' name. Didn't I, honey? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. It's not just my experience. It's, it's, in, it's in the ministries that we experience. I, a number of years ago, uh, on, a sa- on the same day, and one day I had two different couples come in for marriage counseling. Okay, The first couple, it didn't seem like they had that many problems. right? It, it seemed like things were going pretty well, that things weren't too bad, it, you know, it was no big deal. Uh, and, and so I gave them some counsel, and they went on their way. The second couple came in, and it seemed like they had terrible problems. I mean, they kept saying things like, I mean, they had... Just vitriol, acidic sort of things. They were cursing each other. They got mad at me. And I'm thinking, why are you mad at me? I, I didn't screw up your marriage. You know, like, I'm thinking when they left, I thought, you know, there, nothing's got, there, there's no way this marriage is going to survive. Well, you know what happened? The marriage I didn't think would make it. They repented. They, they asked forgiveness. They, they turned to the Lord. They got counsel. And, and you would never today have any clue that that couple ever had any trouble. The other couple got divorced within a year. How is that? How is that possible? I mean, it was the same council on the same day, the same pastor, the same office, same church. 
Two totally different responses. How many times have you seen kids who grow up in the, with the same parents and same message, same education, same house, same food? They eat the same food. And yet sometimes two totally different responses. Why? Well, would you like to know? Does anybody here want to know Jesus' secret of the kingdom? Well, it's in the parable. The secret's found in the parable. And here's how the parable goes. The sower comes out and he sows seed. And some of the seed falls on the path where the birds just swing in and they eat it up. Now, I have never read this text the same after I went to Israel, actually, in, 2000, or in 2011 and 2014. In 2014, we, went to, uh, we were working with Palestinians in the West Bank, but then we went into uh, Israel proper, and we were down by the Dead Sea. And uh, a lot of the kids especially want to get in the water, and, and adults too, because, you know, it's kind of cool to be in the Dead Sea. You float real easily. It's pretty cool. And the mud is, like, really good for your skin. And it's just, it's like one of the lowest point, maybe the lowest point on earth or something like that. It's just really incredible. So I decided I don't really need to get wet. You know, I've already been here. So I'll just watch the stuff. And so we had a circle of chairs right on the beach there on the, on the Dead Sea or at least on the shore. And, um, and so everybody else goes down into the water and I'm standing up there. And as soon as everybody leaves, this huge big black bird comes down and tries to pick up one of the backpacks. And I'm like, shoot, get, 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 go, get out, get out of here. And by the time I get the, that one away, my back is turned, another one lands behind me. And he's trying to get my own son's towel. And I'm like, no, hey, get out. I spent the whole afternoon... Chasing off these giant blackbirds that wanted to carry away our children's stuff. Now, to be fair, just so you know, uh, my, so a couple of my boys say, you know, Dad, every time you tell that story, the birds get bigger. And they said, by the time we have kids and you have grandkids, it's going to be you are fighting off pterodactyls. You know, in, a, in Israel, like it was dragons in Israel. I had to fight. But that's what happened. The seed goes on the path and the birds just I mean, they just come down, wham, bam, take it, it's gone. Then there's the rocky soil where it's shallow. There's no root. It goes down, the seed goes down, and, it, and a plant comes up, but the sun scorches it because it doesn't have a, a root system. It's not, connect, it's not grounded. It's not rooted. And then there's thorny soil where the thorns just choke it out. And then there's good soil that produces a crop, 30, 60, 100 fold. And Jesus tells that story, and then he ends the service. <laughs> that's it he says he who has ears to hear let him hear see ya can you imagine what if i did that today what if i just got up here told you a cute little story and says he who has ears to hear let him hear the end god bless you receive the blessing you'd say i want i want my tithe back i don't wait wait i like what what you got to explain the point of the story you, you didn't tell us what the big idea was. You didn't give us the so what, who cares, how does that affect me part of the sermon. You'd be upset. But that's exactly what Jesus does. He tells the story and says, the end. And then in verse 10, when he's alone with the 12 and a few others, they pull him aside and say, we haven't got the foggiest idea what the heck you're talking about. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the secret of the kingdom, but for everybody else, they just get parables. So that, quoting Isaiah 6, they don't hear and understand. When you first read that, it's kind of puzzling. It's like Jesus is saying, I use parables so that people deliberately won't understand. You think, what what in the world's happening here? here? Here's what's happening. 
Jesus is surrounded by people who want the miracles, but not him. They don't love Jesus, they love the power. And so the parables function as a filter. Okay, They're a filter. If you want the secret of the kingdom, you're going to have to pursue it. If you want to know the secret of the kingdom, you're going to have to press in. It's not sitting on the surface. You're going to have to spend time privately with Jesus. Put it this way. You have to want truth in order to find it. You got to, the casual listener who shows up just to see Jesus do a magic trick doesn't get the secret of the kingdom. The secret of the kingdom only comes to Jesus followers who spend time with him, who press in, who ask questions, who go below the surface. Let me apply that this way. Merely showing up to church a couple times a month for an hour and a half to see if Jesus is going to do something, that doesn't transform you. Now listen, I don't want that to sound harsh. Please don't hear that to sound harsh. I actually care about, I want you to be, please be transformed. Some of y'all really need to be transformed. Actually, we all do. So I'm saying this because I love you, okay? I really, and that is true. Because I've heard people say things like this. I went to church a few times, but it didn't change me. Just like I'm sure people left the lake that day in Mark chapter 4, scratching their heads going, all this talk about seeds and soils. I don't get it. See, if the extent of your relationship with Jesus is that you show up at church every once in a while, all you're going to get is the parable. You're not going to get the secret. The people who experience the secret, the people who experience transformation are the people who press in after the public talk is over. As verse 10 says, they get alone with Jesus and ask, hey, Jesus, what do you mean by that? They, you got you to you want it. You got to want it so badly that you're not hindered by the parable. You go below the service and you don't stop until you get it. You say, I'm not going to stop until I understand and I'm going to obey. Listen, the people who are transformed are the people who are like Jacob. He wrestled with the angel and refused to let it go till it blessed him. You remember that story in Genesis? There's Jacob and this angel. He's got a hold of this angel. Angel's like, let me go. And he said, I am not letting you go until you bless me. Man, that's how we ought to be with the text. That's how tenacious we I got this word. I got this parable. Jesus, I ain't letting go until you bless me. Until I discover. I'm not letting go of the secret until I get the secret. So let's do that this morning. Let's wrestle with the angel. You want to do that? Let's, let's wrestle with the te- Let's refuse to let this parable go until Jesus gives us, as 21st century disciples, the secret he gave to the first century disciples. Here's what he explains. Verse 14. The farmer sows the word. This is the first half of the secret. Very important. You got to get this. You got to get the first half or you won't get the second half. The first half of the secret of the kingdom of transformation is that the word is seed that has power. There is power in the word of God to transform you. God's word has the power to transform you. If you read the Bible in Genesis 1, how did God create the world? He he spoke a word. By his word, let there be and there was. That's Genesis 1. Hebrews 1 says he currently today is sustaining everything by his word. So God's word has creative power. It has sustaining power. It has recreative power. In other words... God's word has the ability to change you. 
In fact, two other places in the New Testament, we see where the word is seed that gets planted that changes us. Listen to this. James 1. He chose to give us new birth through the word of truth. There's the word that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So what do you do? Here's what you do. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You see what James said? James is saying the word of God, which ultimately the gospels are at the center of the word of God, is seed that if it's planted in you will save you. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, there's the seed again, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. So James says it, Peter says it, they're they're just playing off of Jesus' picture here of the word of God being a seed, that there's power in this seed. There is power and there is life. There's, there's, There's life in the word of God. And if it goes deep, it will grow and it will change things. Let me illustrate that. Let's say we take this music stand here. We go out back. Somebody's got a shovel. We dig a hole. We throw the music stand in. We put dirt over it. Throw down some fertilizer. Water it. Sun comes out. What's going to happen? Nothing. Not one thing. It's not going to grow a music stand tree. Why? Because there's no life in this. There's no biological life in it. But if you go to the same place out back and plant a seed, it has, the, it has life in it. You don't have to do anything with the seed. You just put the seed in deep and the seed will do the work. Everybody with me? It will go. This is the difference between mechanical growth and organic growth. Let's, let's, let's keep with the illustration of the music stand. Let's say I take the music stand, I throw it over there. And then I get another music stand, maybe two more music stands, and I make a pile of music stands over here. Can I grow the pile of music stands? Well, I can't biologically grow up, but I could grow up by just adding to it, right? So I could take those music stands and I could add it to the pile and it would be one more. And so the way you mechanical growth is you add two. And that's how religion attempts to grow us. Religion has an add to approach. So, so religion says you want to grow, you got to do more. And there's always more to do and to learn and classes to take and activities to perform and performances to see. And you just do, 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 do. And that's how you grow. That's mechanical growth. That's religious growth. But organic growth by the spirit, by contrast, is more like a bulb that once it's planted becomes a tulip. Do you see the difference? It grows from the inside out. It's it's an organism that becomes more complex and more beautiful and it grows. Listen, the way to know you have organic growth and not just mechanical religious growth is that you're not just getting busier, you're getting wiser. You're not just getting busier, you're growing deeper. You're not just getting busier, it's becoming more beautiful. Your life is getting richer. Has this happened to you? It probably has in some area. See, when the seed of the word of God, the gospel, gets planted inside you, this organic growth happens and you find yourself growing. Not just doing more, not just adding to the pile from the inside out because the word has power to grow. And here's what happens. You find all these, you grow paradoxically tougher and more sensitive at the same time. 
If the gospel gets on the inside of you, that you're saved by grace through what Jesus did, not what you did, if that gets on the inside, you know what happens? You, you get tougher skin. You're not bothered as much by what other people say. But at the same time, and it's a paradox, you become more sensitive to other people. You didn't work it up. You just, it just comes out of you. you. You become simultaneously more bold about truth, and yet you're more humble about yourself. If it's the gospel. If, it, if it's the seed of the word of God that goes in, you, what comes out is, hey, I'm more bold about what God said, but at the same time, I'm more humble because I know I ain't perfect. And I actually raise my hand when the pastor says, how many of you know you need to be transformed? You know what happens? If it's the seed of the gospel, you become more forgiving. Why? Because you know God forgave you. You become kinder. Because you realize it was the kindness of God that led you to repentance. You get more joyful. Why? Because God is joyful. You you become more generous. (laughs) If it's the gospel... That seed that's planted in you, you become generous with your time. You become more generous with your treasure because it's organic growth from the seed of the word planted in you. It's not just mechanically adding to a stack of music stands. So that's the first half of the secret is that the power is not in how good you are. The power is in the word. The power to transform you isn't about you. It's the seed. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying right now? I mean, in this parable, in just Jesus' parable, what am I? Dirt. <laughs> I mean, even if I'm the good soil, I'm still soil. The, the, the power's not in the soil, it's in the seed. And the power in the seed is therefore organic. There's an old saying that I heard a long time ago, and I tried to find, you know, we, we looked it up this week to try to find out who said it, and, and a lot of places say it was Robert Schuler, but I thought it was around a lot longer than he, him, although maybe he was older than I thought he was. Um, uh, he, he said this, or somebody said this, and he repeated it. You can count the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. You see what's being said? A single seed can produce an entire orchard. And how many apples is that? Who knows, God? But here's the paradox. A seed has great power in it, but it's also pretty weak. Right? You can, t- you can crush a seed pretty easy. I mean, nobody takes a seed and plants it and goes, bombs away! <laughs> when you plant a seed, you, lo- you don't even know it. You lose it. You, don't, you, know, you can't even find it. So why did Jesus compare the word to a seed? I mean, why not compare it to a hammer? Or a sword or fire. I mean, because those are all biblical analogies for the word. Right? I mean, if I was doing it, it'd be like the word, you know, it's like a hammer that crushes you. Or a sword that cuts. Or fire that blasts you, you know, burns you up. But a seed? Why a seed? I think it's because of the paradox. That a seed is weak, but it also contains breathtaking power. Take an acorn. Let me use this illustration. Take an acorn. And we see a picture of an acorn up here. So you got this acorn, and you can easily crush an acorn, okay? But at the same time, there is power in that acorn to cover the entire face of the earth in wood. Think think about that for a second. Now, given enough time, okay, in the right environment, okay, obviously. But there's power in one acorn to cover the whole earth in wood. No hammer can do that. 
No fire can do that. No sword can do that. And yet you can crush it pretty easily. G. Campbell Morgan told a story about being in Italy. And he was on uh, some trip in Italy. And he went to some famous cemetery where there was a famous uh, king or something who had been buried there centuries ago. And there was, and, and it was a super ornate sort of grave. And there was this huge, thick slab of marble. Right? I mean, like long, thick slab of marble. But what was interesting was an acorn or some kind of seed of a tree had gotten up under the soil just on the edge of this slab of marble. And over the centuries, it had grown up a tree right on the edge so that it cracked the marble into two. Now think about this. Take that seed and drop it on top of the marble. It does nothing to the marble. Plant it in good soil. And it does something a team of horses can't do. I think that's part of the reason Jesus uses this analogy for the word. Because this is part of the secret. The first half of the secret is there is power in the word. It's not in the soil. The power's in the word, but it has to be planted deep inside you. And that leads us to the second half of the secret, which is this. The second half of the secret is how you hear and receive it. Look at verse, go back to the parable. Verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And, and what I have in my mind is those big pterodactyl black birds and then the Dead Sea. Slow interest is coming down, just, you know, just like strafing runs, trying to grab up my kids' towels. And you know what? That might be a little bit funny, but you know what? That's happening right this moment. This very, I'm trying to tell you the secret of the kingdom, and some of you are thinking about the Super Bowl. Or chicken wings. I'm sorry I mentioned that, because now I'm thinking about chicken wings. You know what Satan wants to do before you get out of this room? He wants to sweep in like those birds and take that seed from you. You say, well, what do we do? Don't let him. Do what I did that day. Shoot, bird. Get on out of here. Even if you got to do it all day, like say, he is up there telling me the secret of the kingdom. And devil, you will not take it away from me. You just got to be that violent. Verse 16. Other, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word. And at once they receive it with joy. Okay, so they're like, okay, he's got a good word. Okay, there you go. But since they have no root... They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. In other words, they don't believe, they don't understand it. They have no root. They don't believe, really believe it. Verse 18, still others like seed sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Listen, soil three is the American church, friends. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, note, I want you to notice something. For all three kinds of soil that don't produce, they have a similar problem. It's a depth problem. The seed doesn't go deep. I mean, in the first soil, it doesn't go in at all. It's just on the path and the, and the birds just come and Satan just steals it. In the second soil, it's rocky, it's shallow, but it doesn't, it doesn't go deep. In other words, they don't really believe it. 
by the way, do, do you know this? Just kind of a side note. The only part of the word of God that works for you is the part you believe. And before you go, well, is that kind of a word of faith thing? No, it's not a word of faith. It, the only part of the word that works for you is the part you believe because that's the only part you'll actually act on. And by the way, another side note, if you don't really believe something, you're not going to take any persecution over it. So that it said here, you know, it didn't have root. And so the persecution came, the sun came out and they said, we out of here. Woo-hoo! No, See, if you don't really believe it, you ain't going to take no persecution for it. That's how I know the early disciples really believed Jesus was risen from the dead. Because they were trying, you will not be tortured for something you don't believe. I had the sense that if, if significant persecution comes to the church in America, there's going to be a lot smaller churches. Because you won't put up with persecution if you don't really believe it. And then the third soil is, is thorny. And, and, and then it goes down deep, okay? But it doesn't go down deep enough. It just goes as deep as everything else. It doesn't, it's no deeper than the love of other things. And, and because the gospel only goes as deep as other stuff, it's like, okay, well, well we're, we're worried about the other stuff or we have this desire for, in other words, Satan tries to get us to believe that the word, if we let the word go deep, we'll have to give up something else that's better. It is such a lie. Verse 20, others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept the word, which we, we, we believe it. They believe it, okay? They receive they understand it, they accept it, they believe it, and then they produce or obey, and they produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Did you see this? So the good soil hears the word, believes the word, and obeys the word. This is the secret of organic transformation. The power is in the word to transform you. You don't have to do the miracle. You don't have to save anybody. You don't even change yourself. Here's what you do. You hear the word. You believe the word. You obey the word. This is it. You hear the word. You believe the word. You obey. You might have some struggle that you're fighting. How do I change? Here's what you do. You hear the word. You believe the word. You obey the word. Think of it this way. Head. You hear. Your head. Your heart. You believe. Your hands. You obey. That's it. Hear the word. Believe the word. Obey the word. And know what happened? All of a sudden, you're not trying to crank up change. You're not stacking up the stack of music stands. You know what's happened? It's like a tulip coming out. It just comes out of the soil because the power's in the seed. Now, ultimately, ultimately, I wouldn't be teaching this parable if I didn't point out the fact that the parable actually leads us back to Jesus himself. Because Jesus is the ultimate seed. Tim Keller is so good on this. I listened to this message, you know, the seed of the kingdom, and I probably shouldn't because the rest of this message, I just stole from him. <laughs> because he's good at this. Here's what Keller says. He says, Jesus didn't use the analogy of a hammer or fire or a sword for his analogy for the word because Jesus didn't come as a hammer to crush. He didn't come as a sword to cut. He didn't come as a fire to burn people. He came to die. 
Seeds only release their power if they go into the ground and die. Jesus is the ultimate seed. I mean, he said as much in John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about himself. And here's what he says, verse 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Listen, if Jesus had come as a hammer, if Jesus had come as a fire or as a sword, we'd all still be dead in our sin. But he came as a a seed, a lamb to be slain, a a seed to die, to be put into the ground. You know why? So that we could live. And at the Garden of Gethsemane, there's Jesus, and he's carrying the weight of the sin of the world. And, And it says he's sweating, as it were, drops of blood, and he cries out, is there another way? Father, there's got to be another way. And the answer of heaven is this. My life cannot be released in them unless you go into the ground and die. And my Jesus said, okay. Not my will, but yours. And he died for me. And that is the gospel. And if you will let the gospel go deep into your heart, it will change you. If you take the beauty of what Jesus has done deep down inside, it's got to go deep. It can't be on the surface, man. Satan will come and suck that thing away. But it's got to go deep. If it goes deep down inside you, it will transform you. It can't help but transform you. Paul put it this way, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes. He didn't say the gospel had power. He didn't say the gospel brings power. The gospel is the power of God to transform you. The gospel itself is the secret of organic transformation. Now note this before I close. The parable actually ends on a note of triumph. Did did you notice that? I mean, the the way the parable ends here at the end, the good soil produces 30, 60, or 100 fold, which is crazy production. Like even even today with with some of the um, uh, the technology that we have, 100 fold, I mean, this is crazy production. You know what I think Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, this is supernatural, Bubba. Supernatural. Say it this way, and then I'll be done. I don't care what kind of marble slab is over your heart. If you will let the gospel in, if you will let that seed go deep, if you will hear the word, if you'll believe the word, if you'll obey the word, it has the power to snap that marble into. It has the power to break you free. It might be the marble of sin. It might be the marble of addiction. It might be this marble slab of racism or alienation. It might be, for for a few people here, it's this loathsome self-hatred that you have, which is based on a lie that you've believed. Even that, if you will let the gospel in, if you'll let that seed go deep in your soul, if you will take it in that even though you didn't deserve it, Jesus died for you. Jesus was the seed that went into the ground and died for you. If you will let it in and you will let it go deep, it will transform you from the inside out.
And that, my friends, is the secret of the kingdom.